that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Book I Talk. Steve Amis, Nathan Baird, and this is our rewatch of Ohio State's 41 to 7 win over Purdue. Just the second time this year that Ohio State has surpassed the 40 point mark, which is crazy to think about, but that's the world we live in now. Before we get into it, this was Nathan, this was our first time watching the, the broadcast on Peacock. And obviously, we were getting a lot of feedback from our texters signed up for the text 614-350-3315. Andrew actually sent out the question of, hey, how are you enjoying the Peacock broadcast? And there was a lot of negativity. <laughs> Just firsthand experiences with, I don't know, this is probably not the first time you've watched a, a, any type of sporting event on a streaming site, but what did you just think of the overall broadcast Peacock put together? Listen, no, I mean, I, seriously, like, I'm sure that the first Big Ten Network broadcast back in the day were rougher than the ones they do now. I'm not making excuses for Peacock. I think they've got to be better. It was rough at times. There were definitely some glitches. There were definitely some things that I thought were human error and that need to get fixed, just the way they think about things. The As someone who did pony up the $6, or I guess, I guess my company did, but we'll pretend it was my hard-earned money, the $6 just to watch this game, I was really frustrated, and maybe I did it wrong, it doesn't seem like I can then, on a rewatch, just skip past all the commercials. Like It just feels like I have to watch all the commercials again. That's complete bullcrap, Peacock. I hope that someone at the Big Ten is getting this feedback from fans. Now, I, again, I don't know if every fan base reacts the same way, because I think it is true that Ohio State fans are very used to the vast majority of their games being ABC, Showcase ESPN games, Fox games, maybe the occasional CBS game. Like they're they're used to being in the marquee spot and not getting one of these sort of leftover spots. I think this is like Purdue's third game on Peacock or something this year. Yeah. Like they've had a yeah. lot of Peacock games. So people at Purdue maybe at this point are kind of like, oh, all right. But that's not who we care about. We care about Ohio State fans. And I understand that they were frustrated. And I think that you should voice that displeasure to the Big Ten. You should contact somebody at the Big Ten and say, Hey, this is not the Big Ten standard that we expect. Um, it's certainly not the standard that we expect if we have to pay for it. And that's where your voice will matter. People like me could write snarky columns about it and Stephen and do these podcasts. And um, maybe they take that into account. But I really think if you can all say, if you really didn't like it, find, I mean, I guess you can probably find an email out there for Tony Petiti, but you can also find one for, you know, uh, whoever's in charge of uh, media relations at the Big Ten and just send it to them. Because if they get enough of them, I think it's something they will definitely pass along to their partner. Because this is a concession that the Big Ten made. It's a concession that someone like Ohio State would make that they are, you know, I guess maybe they don't, they could have put their foot down, I suppose. I think this is one of those times where Ohio State probably said, all right, very occasionally you'll get us on Peacock, but it's got to be better. It's got to be better. I actually started to make a list at one point where I was like, Kyle Rudolph wouldn't shut up about Notre Dame. I uh, was really getting, I'm not even an Ohio State fan, and I was getting tired of that. Um, <laughs> and I also thought it was funny. He brought up this, oh, it's really tough to play at, at Purdue because there was this game in 2009 where we went in the fourth, we had to make a goal line uh, touchdown in the fourth quarter. And I, were, I think I covered that game because I think Danny Hope, the Purdue coach at the time, called one of the most inexplicable timeouts of all time. It was like almost a Mario Cristobal moment. Um, the way the clock management happened there and allowed Notre Dame to win that game. Just just times that they would talk over things in the game with, with 
inanities that weren't like analyzing the game, explaining the game. Um, and I actually only watched the, about the first half of this game because number one, that that sort of gave us the story of of the flow of the game. But number two, again, the commercials made it longer. Um, there were some. I, I, I was hearing that there were there were some people who who just, just missed some plays. If they just came back from commercial after missing a couple mm-hmm. plays at some point, like, like mm-hmm. that's that's weak. So if the Big Ten is going to subject its fans to this, then it has to hold NBC to a higher standard than this. This at times felt um, amateurish and uh, got to be better. This this in some there were times where this felt like something that like a local station was putting on rather than a supposed national broadcast, streaming broadcast. So again, if you if there's people out there who feel this way strongly, because again, it's not actually my money that got spent. And well, I'm speaking up for the fans now, but like that's you know, do that in mass. Like all of you in mass making that protest will matter more than just one schlub who actually doesn't have to pay for it screaming into the wind. I'll start by saying I'm glad that this was the game that was on Peacock for Ohio State this year. Most most definitely. Okay, I'll start there. Because even the Maryland game, had that been the Peacock game, that would have been a different level of frustrating. The fact that this game was over with by halftime helps with this. This felt like a lack of preparation for something that you knew was coming. And it felt like an I afterthought. Would, and I don't think this is the only game that's been like this. It's more. It's more lights on it because with the Ohio State beat and there's a lot more of us and there's a lot more people interested in one of the teams playing but I think this has probably been a problem all year for them it felt like this was a filler game and they were and NBC was just waiting for it to be 730 so they could show the USC the Notre Dame game with a a lot of how this preparation with and this is the wrong fan base to try to turn a game into an afterthought with it doesn't matter who they're playing this fan base loves every single game all 12 it doesn't matter they freak out about all 12 games, and they love all 12 games. This is not okay. This TV contract didn't get put in place two weeks ago, NBC. You've known this was coming for a while now, and there, there doesn't seem to be things in place to make it better. I thought the pairing was weird. I'm with you. He was talking about Notre Dame way too much. It's like, we get it, dude. You went to Notre Dame. We get it. But you know, Josh per- Joshua Perry isn't talking about Ohio State when he's not covering an Ohio State game. He's not doing or he that. Does it nearly the, as often. He does it in a more relevant way than just being like, oh, I can't watch that highlight again. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, yeah, I mean, Ohio State <laughs> fans had to be sitting at home thinking like, hey, we won that game. Let's talk about, let's talk about this game. Let's talk about the next game. Yeah. Literally. We don't need to talk yeah. about Notre Dame anymore. Unless it somehow is relevant I, to the way Purdue is playing, which I don't think it was. And I think you struck on something there, too, which is how much Ohio State fans care about every game. That's why NBC wants to have a game on Peacock. So yep. then you have to live up to that standard. If you're if if this is all about the massive amount of eyeballs that are on a game because you're Ohio State, because because this is Ohio State, then you have to step up to that standard. And, I, and again, I'm not usually the person who takes stances like this. I'm a little bit more like water off my back kind of guy when it comes to this stuff. But I I think that this is just common sense. Like if you're going to take mm-hmm. the most the most reliably um present fan base the one that will show up with their eyeballs for every game on every network till the end of time then you have to step up and make your product be 
that level, at their level. They have to rise to your level, or you have to rise to their level. They don't have to just accept your level. How's that? They were that that was perfect. I the only thing the other thing that I did want to point out, everything else, I think we, we all get it. It was bad. Ohio State lost its best cornerback and they didn't say anything about it. It just kind of happened. We cut we were at the game covering it. So when we saw Denzel Burke leave the game, we're like, oh, where's Denzel Burke? Where's Denzel Burke? We spent the rest of the second half looking for him in tandem, all three of us trying to find out where number 10 was. I don't even think it got mentioned that the best cornerback on the field is gone. And there's one nothing. of the best in college football. One of the best in college football. By the way, and, and a nothing. massive game is coming next week. I know that you're only Peacock, and there's no chance that you would ever be anywhere within sniffing distance of the of the Ohio State Penn State game. But you need to put that in the context of the game that is coming up next. If people read our coverage after the game, there was definitely, I think, with one exception, everything we wrote after the game was what does this mean for Penn State. Probably the one exception, and even that's borderline, is the Dallin Hayden thing. Because even that is, you know, explaining depending on some things, a yes. lot of things, and depending on what happens with the running back room. But you could say if the running backs are healthy, maybe he doesn't play as much. And that is, but like, is the Devin Brown package, will they use that against Penn State? All these guys are hurt. What does that mean against Penn State? The defensive line played really well. What does that mean against Penn State? Like, I can just go down the list of all of the things that were all spinning this game ahead to Penn State. And to mm-hmm. have a player of his caliber with a matchup like that on deck, and it just happens while you're babbling about other stuff, is, uh, again, it just felt very amateurish. It felt very unprepared. It felt very much like this game was just an afterthought. It felt like a money grab at times. Like, they yeah. were just, okay, well, you know, we just we got the rights, and now we're broadcasting the game, and that's what we've got to do, right? We'll show you the pictures. Okay, that was good. I just thought we both needed it. We needed to spend 10 minutes getting our venting off because this was, this was, wow. Yeah, I mean, again, it's <laughs> selfishly the thing that bothered me the most was just trying to watch back through and, and to watch all the commercials. Yeah, because I can get through a rewatch in about yeah. an hour, hour 15 typically. This one, it's like, oh my, it's, I've been doing this for two hours, man, because I can't skip anything. <laughs> that was, I mean, that was the biggest effect to my life. But I, I recognize that there are other people who that was their only way to consume that game was through mm-hmm. that television broadcast. And that, so looking at it through their lens, I'm sure it was frustrating and not up to par. And like I said, maybe I will write something about it. I'm obviously, I have a list of grievances now. For I really think that if they were to hear from thousands of Ohio State fans saying you're this isn't good enough um and maybe you know the painful thing is that what you the the, the painful thing the really the way to really get through to them is next year when they put another peak game on peacock and by yeah. god there's going to be some opportunities next year with this absolute uh loaf of a schedule that they're playing next mm-hmm. year like they you might you might have multiple peacock games last year, next year for all I know but next time they try to do that don't get the one month subscription. Just bite the bullet, mm-hmm. w- listen to it on the radio or whatever, and make them see that there was a noticeable drop in the number of people who subscribed. Maybe that's the only way yeah. to, to vote. Um, or maybe, maybe you give them the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, rough first year, we'll make our complaints. They've got to be better second year. And then if they're not, um, then you got to vote with your wallets. Like that's, that's how you vote for things in America. A lot of times, frankly, vote with your wallet. Vote with your wallet. That's a that can apply to a lot of things. But let's talk some football. 
Kyle McCord, 16 of 28, 276 yards and three touchdowns. I counted five drops in real time. I'm sticking with that. I think he's easily 21 of 28 for like 350. And he maybe doesn't get another touchdown out of it, but for, that's yep. a different type of game we're talking about here. I think PFF, we always say take it with a grain of salt. I thought PFF was on the money with Kyle McCord in this game. He's the highest graded offensive player. I think he might have been the highest graded quarterback in the Big Ten this past weekend, 85. And that's upper level. That's where you want to be as Ohio State quarterbacks, yeah. 80 and above. Was this his best game so far this year? Uh, Just as a quarterback? Well, you, gotta, you have to correct it relative to opponent. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the Notre Dame, again, I, it depends on how much you want to get wrapped up in statistics. But honestly, the concept that we were operating with coming into the season was that Common Cord's passing statistics should not be the deciding factor of how good this offense is. That mm-hmm. that it wasn't going to be a thing where he was going to have to go out and and drive that the same way. And we shouldn't expect the same kind of statistics that you expect from C.J. Stroud. And we said that before C.J. Stroud decided he was going to debut as like one of the 12 best quarterbacks in the NFL, mm-hmm. which has been kind of fun to watch here. Um, and for those of us who uh, like I was just looking, I'm like, do I have to start starting C.J. Stroud in my fantasy league? Like I had Justin Fields ahead of him and I'm like, ah. Justin, Justin's got a little volatility and C.J.'s kind well, of Justin. Just- Justin just headed to the locker room. We're recording this on a Sunday afternoon, guys, as NFL okay. games are going on. So well, Justin just went to the locker room. So that might have just answered your question. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, so was it his best game? Listen, I think that's an interesting score, the grade from PFF. And I, I kind of suspected that that might happen. I didn't know how much they would ding him for some of the non-passing things. Some of – I just – I still think he's kind of loose with it a little bit when he gets pressured, needs to maybe protect it a little bit better. But from a passing standpoint, I, I thought it was pretty sharp. Um, there was one ball that I thought was a little bit dangerous. And there, it's not like every pass was perfect. But when you when you do factor in the ones that he dropped, then it was it definitely, as we said after the game, and that was only reinforced on watching it again, um, those balls were there. Um, now, the other thing I wanted to say, though, from watching, rewatching it is if we're going to point out the balls that Marvin Harrison Jr. dropped, then you have to point out things like that just stupid, crazy catch that he made on the first drive where he's like laying out yeah. with a guy draped on his back. And I don't know how he caught that. There was the play, you know, we're going to point out Julian Fleming dropped a ball, but he also made that nice sliding sideline catch that mm-hmm. would have started drive, except Josh Simmons got uh, a holding penalty. So they had to back that up like it's so, you know. Those it was a weird game because those guys were still I think a lot of times making the tough catches. Kate Stover made a bunch of really tough catches, um, just weirdly dropping the ball. But I think that it was still very valid to point that out, especially because of what's coming next. You can't be putting the ball on the turf, whether it's a fumble or whether it is dropping a easily catchable pass and i say that as a completely unathletic person or mostly unathletic person like at their standard a completely catchable pass um you can't be putting those on the ground either against penn state like that's you can't their defense is too good and you're not going to have the abundance of opportunities that you had against purdue i think this wide receiver room we did a video afterward i was kind of harsh on it but i think it was valid because Marvin Harrison Jr., we're holding him to the Marvin Harrison Jr. standard. 
and he doesn't drop the ball. He had 118 targets last year, and he had three drops, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he, he had, had 13 targets yesterday. You know, and it, it, that's it's weird, but that might I think that's normal for wide receivers that you drop balls every so often. But this room doesn't drop the ball, so when they no. do it, it, it it's almost like having the shiniest new car on the lot. And so the one little speck of dirt stands out a little bit more because everything else does he got a what do you have? He has six catches for 105 yards and one touchdown. Pretty quality day. He Solid was that day, whole first but he's drive. Marvin. Yeah. Yeah, but he's Marvin Harrison Jr. And so you don't focus on the six catches for 105 yards and one touchdown. You focus on the seven incompletions because three of them were his fault. And I don't know if it's fair or not, but I think he's going to watch the film and he's going to hold himself to that standard because this is the dude who spends day and night in the Woody working on the Monarch machine. And so we're only holding him to the standard that he is also going to hold to himself while also understanding that a C day for him might be a B plus day for the rest of the country. If I were to ask you, you have a better memory than me on some of these things sometimes. Like if we were to talk about, we don't need to, this. We don't need to actually talk about this. But just for example, like since 2019, so your first year on the beat and my actual first year on the beat, your first, your first full year. Like, what are the like the biggest drops in that Ohio State period? Like mm. ones that like really stand out to you. And like somebody is probably right now saying, "Oh, J.K. Dobbins against Georgia in 2019." Yeah, like that was barely a drop. Like he was like diving into the end zone full extension yeah. and just didn't hang on to the ball. Like that's the standard kind of that like that almost stands out as like a a really poorly timed non-catch by an Ohio mm-hmm. State skill player over the past 5 years. So, yes, yesterday I think was anomalous. And maybe the weather played into it. It was wet. Mm-hmm. Um definitely some wind, but that usually doesn't I think really affect the receivers that much especially by the time the ball gets to your hands. But they're also wearing gloves, so I don't know even how much the wet should matter. Um, well, no, I, I, but I've heard that from football players a lot. When it's raining, it's almost better to not wear gloves at all because some because those new age gloves get slippery in the rain, yeah. so they almost and lose the, the gloves, impact so that they're supposed to have. Yeah, they should. Yeah, because we've seen make, make yeah, that call yourself. Like correct. Um, I, I think it's just a weird. I, I think I think it was just a weird day. Like for them to go through some sort of like room wide funk where they're dropping the ball five mm-hmm. times a game for the next month would be really strange there it would it would be just something off of another planet right like it wouldn't make sense and i'm not Mm -hmm. even that's not even me saying that uh trying to deify the receivers room i'm just saying statistically by what they've done Mm -hmm. going back now through the the, these specific players careers that isn't going to happen so i'm not i don't think it repeats itself against penn state if it does repeat itself against penn state it's very likely a big problem you can't you yeah. can't afford to give like you can't give away five downs and and fifty yards to Penn State. You just you can't do mm-hmm. it. you can't do it. And and I'm we're going to talk a lot about Penn State this week and how good they actually are, how good the offense really is, and how much it can take advantage. How how good the defense is. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of statistical evidence that this is a legitimately legitimately really good team. Certainly as good at least as good as Notre Dame, but probably better. And you can't give them opportunities like that. 
I think that we're still, it's a combination of Penn State might have the best defense in the country, but also so could potentially Ohio State and so could potentially Michigan. That's a conversation for a different day. But we're still learning what this offense's margin for error is. And so that plays a role. I think in years past, the margin for error has often been very wide because like, okay, you didn't score on this drive, but then you scored on your next six. So, right. okay, and you, you're fine. And you can do that against Purdue. Mm-hmm. You can't do that against Penn State. Right. One more thing on McCord. Maybe maybe it is or maybe it isn't his best game. I think he's progressing in the right way, and I think he took a step. I think it was the perfect type of game that he needed to be ready for Penn State. And it's not about statistics, as you mentioned. It's about how he was seeing the field. Now, that intentional grounding thing is just oh – That's yeah. a – like you said, he he does some weird stuff every game. But I think overall, nine I think eighty five yeah. to ninety percent of the time he was on point in a way that I think he's been building towards for a couple of weeks now. And this is one of those things where if you go back to twenty nineteen and it's Justin Fields' first time as a full time starter, which again I th- he had a lot of experience in the SEC, he was a little bit better prepared for this, but. When the same play would have happened for him, and he's got some room in front of him. I think he's mm-hmm. got more confidence and just more physical ability to not have to just throw it away in that weird mm-hmm. kind of desperation sort of way that it gets you that that um, intentional grounding. And so we're getting a an example now of someone who doesn't have quite the C.J. Stroud passing acumen. Certainly not like mm-hmm. second year C.J. Stroud. He's growing towards a greater acumen. You know, Ryan Day has said earlier this year when I asked him about the special trait, one of the things he kind of snuck in around the mental stuff, he's like, oh, we also see some evidence that maybe from an accuracy standpoint, he's he could be very special. But I think he's I think he's mm-hmm. growing to that because the accuracy has to come along with all of the the reading, the processing, and all those other things. Like accuracy against a it's not against a stationary target in the, in these situations and and um and you don't know what the other team's going to do. So you have to build towards that. Um, and he, so, and he doesn't have, he's, he can run fine, but he, nobody runs like Justin Fields really. So you're, he's adjusting in that, that middle era area to find out what's most effective for him. So I just think that it's not happening a lot. It's not like, I think that he is trying to think of what quarterback to like equate him to. Um, I almost said JJ McCarthy, but McCarthy was, it's a different kind of quarterback. So I wouldn't say that. Um, cause there were definitely some times last year where he was a little bit loose with it. We saw games where we would watch Michigan mm-hmm. play and thought, Ooh, what's he? Wow. Um, and I don't feel that way about, about comic court that it's just like a reckless brand of football. I just think he maybe has some, some moments that are more reckless than he need to be, but, uh, I'm, I'm easy for me to say, I'm not the one getting chased by these dudes. I think he just has to protect a little bit better in those inevitable times where something does break down. Um, and, and some of this is him trying to make a play as long as possible. Um, maybe against Purdue, you approach that a different way than against Penn state next week. Maybe Penn state, um, discretion is a better part of valor more quickly in the way that you approach that week. Maybe you go into that game, having thought about it differently for the five, six, you know, plays ahead of that, that you need to get rid of it faster. You need to throw it away faster. You need to um, just tuck it and take the sack faster, something like that. I don't know. Um, they just can't. They can take a sack more than they can take a non-sack that is a fumble 
um, or sometimes even more than you can take the grounding, depending on the yardage. I think we're going to spend a lot of time this week trying to come to the conclusion of, I haven't watched a ton of Penn State yet, so this is obviously for later in the week, but who the better quarterback is between him and Drew Aller coming into the game. Because right now, Kyle McCord, 1,651 yards, 11 touchdowns, and an interception. Drew Aller, 1,254 yards, 12 touchdowns, no interceptions. Kyle McCord's got a QBR of 87.2. Drew Aller's got one of 74.6. But it's just, they're both working it out. And they're both building towards what Saturday is going to be. And so I don't know if there's an emphatic answer. I think when you break down the different traits, there's this guy's better at this, this guy might be better at that. But I do think that makes for an interesting discussion. But I think that what I've seen from Kyle McCord, especially on Saturday, if I'm an Ohio State fan, I feel confident about what Kyle McCord might be able to do for 60 minutes, not just in those you know, moments, because yes, you need that. Yes, you need the third and 19 and be able to complete that and be able to drive down the field with a minute 26 left on it. Yes, you need that. But you also need what happens in the other 50 minutes that puts you in a position where you don't have to do that at the end of the game. And I thought on first and second down, he talked about that last week on Wednesday, that he needed to be better on first and second down. And I thought he was better and more efficient on first and second down. The one thing that this Penn State defense is not or offense. One thing is Penn State offense is not doing is explosive plays. Like they don't get explosive mm-hmm. chunk plays. I think they are among power five teams. They are almost last in the country in plays of 20 plus yards. Mm-hmm. And I just, this to me stands out as the true test of how far this defense has come since last year. Because I think if you just don't give up those explosives, if you don't make a bad angle, a missed tackle, a mistake uh, in in the zone, whatever, that lets them chunk out those plays and you make Drew Aller drive, you'll win the game. I don't know that they can like consistently, consistently, consistently drive against what this Ohio State defense looks like right now. So I think if they can, that, I, that seems to me just like such a crucial, crucial, crucial thing that you've got to, if you can limit that, if you can not be the first team that they victimize, then it goes a long way towards Ohio State winning this game. So we'll get into more of the defense when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back on Bucket Talks, even means Nathan Baird. Peacock didn't talk about Denzel Burke and what happened after he left the field, but guess what? We're going to talk about what happened when Denzel Burke left the field because I thought it was interesting. Because this is in the moment, right? You're, just ha- you're scrambling, you're in an emergency. This is what Tim Walton has to do. I can't tell if it was the hand injury or something underneath, but it's one of the few Purdue explosive plays where I thought Hudson Card was pretty good at this play. Hudson Card anticipates the throw. Wide receivers come in behind Steel Chambers. He hits him on the money, and then he heads upfield for yards after the catch. A couple of arm tackles. Davis and Igbenosin tries to take him down, and then eventually Denzel Burke gets to him. But before Denzel tackles, he swipes at the ball first to try to you know strip the ball, which is that happens sometimes. So, and then he's when he gets up, he's flexing his hand. Which, if you go back to 2022, he had a hand injury. He had surgery on his hand in the middle of a week. <laughs> that ha- that that's a true. That is what happened. And so that's what I'm thinking first that, okay, maybe he re-injured his hand. 
maybe it's serious, maybe it's not, but maybe it's to the point that they didn't want to bring him back into the game. Fine. But also, he kind of got undercut by Jordan Hancock as they're making the tackle, so maybe it's something in there. We don't know what the injury is. I'm, this is just me going off of re-watching the game and seeing what happened. But what I do know is he came out the game, and um, immediately the next play, they put Jermaine Matthews in for him, which, okay, that's just one play. But when they get a chance to settle down into things, they flipped Davis and Igbenosin, who often plays field side while Denzel Burke plays boundary side boundary is where often in Ohio State scheme that corner is playing a lot more press man which is what Denzel Burke wants to play so he's on that side and, and Davis Igbenosin's on the field side Igbenosin comes to the boundary side Jordan Hancock goes to the field side that's they do the, those that's a quick fix for the rest of that drive and I think a lot of that is Jordan Hancock might be a better off corner I think he might be the best off corner. Denzel Burke, I think, said that in the in in the preseason. So that's the the quick fix right there. But then when they go back to their nickel base, Jermaine Matthews is back on the boundary side playing press man. Then Davis and Igbenos is back on the field side, and Jordan Hancock is obviously in the slot. Let's live in the world of Denzel Burke doesn't play next Saturday, potentially, because that's a that might happen. We don't we don't know what's going on with Denzel Burke right now. What do you think is the start? Who do you think are the starting corners when the defense takes the field? How do they play that with Ohio, with Davison Igbenosin, Jordan Hancock, and Jermaine Matthews, who has clearly earned the right to be called the fourth corner over Jair Brown at this point? I would say starting corners, assuming that Penn State is coming out in not something exotic, would be Igbenosin and Hancock, and Sonny Styles at nickel safety. And then the first time they have to go to nickel, then I think that that's where the question is. Do mm-hmm. is which is a better defense right now? Is it keeping Styles at nickel and just keeping this that same base defense, or is it like it, is your defense better putting Matthews on the field over Styles and putting Hancock at nickel? Like is that they're those back seven better than the back seven with Styles? Um, and I, it seems like they think that that's the case, that they would put another true mm-hmm. corner on the field in nickel so that Hancock can be the nickel playing, uh, can be the corner playing nickel. Um, again, though, that may be personnel driven and, you know, Penn state, if they respect their tight ends a little bit more, maybe that makes more sense to keep styles on the field. This may be, it may be personnel driven. It may be a response to what personnel. Penn State has on the field at, at any given time, but they've got options. I think that's what's refreshing, right? That, you know, go back just a couple years in Ohio State history, and it felt like if they were trying to do anything like this, they were taking, going down to like numbers 12, 13, 14 guys off the bench and trying to put them in the in the game at crucial situations on that defense. You would have been like, what are you guys doing? Like, you've barely got 11. You've got nine and a couple you need to hide. Like, you can't be doing this. And now it feels like, oh, I see what you're doing. You think that this guy plus this guy in certain situations is the best version of that, of one of the 11 positions. We talked about this with linebacker after the game. We, uh, Will linebacker, that is, with Simon and, and, and Chambers, not to take us off topic, but that's just another example of that. And they've already been doing it with Styles and Hancock, where they said, rather than say one of these guys is the perfect nickel safety that should play every down, let's just let them both 
play some downs of nickel safety and it make does it make the defense better the numbers would seem to indicate the results would seem to indicate it is making this defense better and that is a little bit of a departure from how Jim Knowles thought about it coming in as we've talked about ad nauseum but I think it was a smart adjustment because I have always it doesn't make any sense to me to not give a guy a role that he knows what it's going to be both for the guy going in and the guy coming out and then let them just best execute that role when they're on the field. I don't think that is, I don't see the downside to that. I think the Penn state thing makes it interesting because Penn state's not, I mean, they don't have a barrage of receivers. So is Sonny styles to the point from a coverage ability to your point that they can just keep him out there. And I think he, get, he got tried a little bit against Purdue. He got tried on a wheel route once and I think he covered it well. So I, that's I, that's an ongoing conversation because it seems like all the other parts of playing nickel safety, Sonny Styles is good at at worst and awesome at it at best. While the coverage part is maybe the thing that's and that makes sense. He's six foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds. You know, covering little slides. And he's eighteen. <laughs> yeah, and he's eighteen. If the the fact that he's not this elite coverage guy is not that crazy yet. But if he's coming along nicely, if he's becoming what they think he can, this might be the best game to let that emerge if it, if you feel comfortable with it you have to feel comfortable with it. it's third and nine and you feel like Sonny Styles has spent six weeks showing you enough that he'll be okay out there he's not going to be a liability for you but I, I I liked what I saw from Sonny against Purdue when they did go at him now a lot of that was early down situations there wasn't a lot of third down situations but I am almost wondering, hey, it's it's almost fair to check in on that with Jim Knowles. Like, hey, where's Sonny at on a percentage scale from a coverage safety standpoint? And is it safe enough that if you have to leave them out there on third down, you're not panicking? It, it, the problem is for this week, maybe, it, it it's the Burke injury that, that changes things. Because now it's it's not a decision between which of those two do you want on the field. It's who do you want playing outside corner. But right. I, that is the bigger decision, really. Like, you can keep just switching those guys at nickel safety. You've been doing it. But now it's a question of, are we going to keep doing that and put Jermaine Matthews, a true freshman, in the game in this huge game? And um, he's handled himself really well, obviously. I mean, he had the pick six. He's made some plays on special teams. Like, he's coming along. Uh, I think he's been very impressive in, in the role, the, the, the amount he's played so far. And the future is bright when they lose some corners uh, here in the next couple of years. He's going to, I think, be stepping right in there. So that, I think, doesn't, especially against what we've seen from Penn State so far, I don't think that is a big concern. There aren't a lot of position groups where you would say Purdue and Penn State are equated or even, like, super close. Receiver might be one of them. I thought Purdue's receivers I, were kind I of like physical what, and, yeah. and played pretty well, um, yeah. c- considering the circumstances. Um, you know, the card was, was under duress a decent amount. And mm-hmm. I don't think they're better. They weren't up to the challenge against Ohio State's defensive backs all the time. But I think they're all right. And I haven't seen a lot from Penn State's receivers yet that I find super impressive. So I don't expect that to happen against the best defense they'll have played so far, other than their own, I guess, in practice, to coin mm-hmm. an Ohio State phrase that they like to use a lot. But I think that if they were to – it wouldn't surprise me if they try it. With Matthews, this could be a situation like uh, week two. They're playing Youngstown State. Josh Proctor's hurt, so they go with Malik Hartford as the mm-hmm. 
Yeah. As the as a, free safety adjuster. Yeah. And that lasted a minute. And then they were like, well, hold on. Mm-hmm. And then Jod Carter played adjuster after that. And they felt like maybe they, it was a bit too much already for him. So can you do that with Matthews in a game where one possession could flip it? I think they might try. I think they seem to be, we'll get that. We'll see what kind of vibe we get on from Noel. Yeah. There's going to be multiple questions for Jim Knowles probably about all of this on Tuesday. And we need to get to the bottom of just what is their level of trust in Jermaine Matthews. But I would say he's looks fine when he plays defense in these games. I don't know how much he got tested, but it looked all right out there. And when a guy is making plays on special teams, like how many times in Ohio State history, you can just go down the list of guys making like freshman special teams plays. And then those guys end up getting trusted to play real roles as true freshmen. And you can throw Caden Curry in that from just last year, like bunches of guys. I know the Chris Olave one is like maybe the most famous thing, but that was really kind of almost a more end of the year thing that blew up. I'm talking about guys just kind of earning more attention and more trust. Trust is the big word. And I think they're starting to, to, to trust uh, Jermaine Matthews. Listen, they had to throw Jair Brown out there against Wisconsin. It was like week four, and he held up his own. Fair point. But to your point. That's actually no, that's a good point. And I, and, yeah. and, and I, know that, I know that we've spent a lot of time on Buckeye Talk over the years through our many inclina- in, in, in many editions, many versions, even before I got here. Um, yeah. Talking about how Ohio State doesn't trust its young players enough. That has not, I would argue, not been true of the Jim Knowles administration. Like from the start of last year, I think they have been willing to put a younger guy on the field over an older mm-hmm. guy, and they have been willing to trust the talent of younger guys. I know someone out there is saying, well, what about CJ Hicks? And I think my response would be, well, here's all the other examples. So what does yeah. that tell you about where CJ Hicks is relative to the other people? And that's not a slam against CJ Hicks. It's just the reality of they trust Sonny Styles no matter what age he is. They trusted Malik Hartford for a hot second to get his shot. They've trusted Jermaine Matthews last mm-hmm. week over some older guys who they could have brought in, Jair Brown, although he's been coming off an injury too, so I don't know what his situation yeah. is. But, you know, they've trusted younger guys, and they're, they're giving defensive line guys who are pretty young a shot. Mike Hall last year, opening day starter, redshirt freshman, had barely played. So, like, there's a lot of examples under Jim Knowles of where seniority is not that much of a factor. Jermaine Matthews got t- targeted twice against Purdue, and neither one of them ended up in completions. So they they a little healthy. Yeah, I, I forgot it. Like J- Jaya Brown's been dealing with an injury, so if he's been back healthy this week, that's a that's even more of a reason to be more co- more confident in what's going on. But uh, to your point, I think if it's a situation where Jermaine Matthews has to start, I think we're going to find out if he can handle it the very first drive because Penn State's going to go at him because he's a true freshman at corner, and they're going to go at him. If they if they if he has to play in a meaningful way, I think because like, that's what you do with young corners is you see if they're ready for the moment and your opponent just goes after them. So I think we'll find out right away. You mentioned the CJ Hicks thing. Cody Simon is playing very well, guys. Very very well. It's not a, and coming into the year, you maybe thought, okay, they've got four guys. Tommy Eichenberg is starting. Mike Steel Chambers is just starting. Will and then CJ Hicks is the backup Will and Cody Simon is the backup Mike. That is not the case here. Cody Simon's just the third linebacker and he plays where they need him to play because there was a bit of a rotation with him and Steel Chambers. I I believe he played Cody Simon played 45 snaps 
and still Chambers played like 32 snaps or something like that. But that's also taking into account that Cody Simon played all the garbage snaps. So it was a clear 50-50 between those two rotating. But then when they did go garbage time snaps, and I may sure to note this, Cody Simon was the was the Mike linebacker and CJ Hicks was the will. So CJ's just fourth in the hierarchy. It's not yeah. a it's not a true you you put out a death chart every single week and that that's for a two deep and that's for an official thing on the site. But if we're going hierarchy, which is what it is at some of these positions, Tommy Eichenberg's one, two A and two B, or Cody Simon and Steel Chambers, depending on the scenario. Well, CJ Hicks is just he's fourth, and he's just gonna have to wait a year. But I think you've been saying this for a while now. That there is a situational thing that might happen against Penn State with Cody Simon and Steel Chambers, where I think on early downs, Cody Simon, who led this team in tackles on Saturday, he had eight tackles. I think he might be the guy that they need to go with. While when it is more passing, we can see a similar thing at Will Linebacker that we're seeing at Nickel with Jordan Hancock and Sonny Styles. So some of this was very apparent to me on the first drive of the game where they were, you know, P- Purdue was gashing some stuff out in the middle of the field. And we were talking in the drive, on the drive back last night about how, you know, I, I don't overreact that much to teams that come out and move the ball on the first initial plays of a game because they've been game planning all week with things that maybe you've never seen to hit you where you're most vulnerable and you've got to make adjustments. And I joked that I thought maybe the play of the game was when uh, uh, Mike Hall just made that that first down stop and held the guy to two yards. Because then for the first time, Purdue was against the sticks, and it was just kind of over from that point. Tuba Lomau was all over uh, uh, Brooks, I think was his name, uh, there in the flats and wasn't going to let him catch that ball. And then on third down, Card takes a vertical shot for his tight end, and who is step for step with him there to defend that pass? Steel Chambers. Like, he is very good at that. He is an asset on the field in coverage. And probably, I would say, better than Cody Simon at that. And I think there might be some growing evidence that Cody Simon might be a little bit better at him than other linebacker things. So, I to go back to what I was saying before, like, one plus one equals more than one. You know what I mean? Or, or I don't know. I don't know what equation. One plus one equals three. <laughs> yeah. One plus one here plus one plus one here plus one plus one here might equal mm-hmm. the best 11 is mm-hmm. the point I'm getting at. And you want to have great players who don't have to come off the field and, and who you don't want to take off the field. I understand that. But I don't think that will linebacker exists for Ohio State right now. So why not take two guys and make a better will linebacker out of both of them? Why not Frankenstein? Will linebacker. They have done it in the past to great effect at linebacker positions, at other positions. So I'm not scared of it. And I don't think they should be either. And I don't think they are. I think that maybe they've just been coming around to it. Like this isn't an overnight sensation. Jim Knowles was talking about Cody Simon back in the winter about how when he reviewed Mm -hmm. last season, he said Cody Simon played better than I gave him credit for. I'm putting some, I'm paraphrasing. I don't know. He didn't say exactly these things. I think he, maybe I shouldn't say that he gave him credit for it. He played better than the amount of playing time he received deserved. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> he, didn't, play as much he, he didn't play as much as he should have. He played, he yeah, played basically, so well, but he didn't play as much as he should have. So for, that was been the plan all along. But the way that he presented it back then was that it was more about, if I play him more, he's capable enough, 
And now I'm saving Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers, who are still the primary two guys, and now they'll be better linebackers in November. Which made a lot of sense to me on its own. But now I think it might be worthwhile to think of it more as Eichenberg is still Eichenberg. Probably doesn't leave the field very much. It's it's what he does, what you can use him as blitzing when you still do that, but also the other things that he talks about, organizational, leading the team, being a captain on the field, coach on the field, all that stuff. And then these other two guys, some combination of them, might be the best will linebacker Ohio State can have right now. And I don't think they're so different that you're telegraphing um, what the other team should do against you. I think Cody Simon can cover a tight end. And I think Steel Chambers can mm-hmm. play against the run. But you're just trying to be situational with it and be and be smart with it. And sometimes maybe um, you can use that to your advantage and bait a team into doing something that you want them to do. Yeah, it's not like... Well, it's almost the same way that people that we talk about Colin McCord and Devin Brown's running ability. It's like, yeah, one's better, but it's not like light and, night and day better. It's just, you know, one just might maximize it a little bit more than the other one, but they, they, they can all do both do everything. So there's two plays I want to talk about to, to transition us in the defensive line. One of them is not a defensive line play directly, but it, it matters in the grand scheme of things. And it's, one of the seven, the seven million times Purdue got down to the red zone ended up with nothing because their kicker can't make anything. But there is a fan in the stadium who can make kicks. Go give him a scholarship, Walters. Go find that kid and give him a scholarship. It was painful to watch, man. Yeah. I feel bad for the guy <laughs> yeah. who was missing the field goals. Yeah. That was rough. <laughs> um, but They finally brought a different guy out, a different kid who was yeah. like a walk-on from West Lafayette High School. Um, to kick that last extra point um, yeah. to give that guy his, a break. But he also didn't get helped out. Like some of the stupid stuff Purdue did, like cost him 10 yards on that 39-yarder that he doinked off the upright. Yeah. Like that was only partially his fault. So it was that was that was, that was was painful to watch. It was. But I think the thing, that, the thing that mattered, though, is I think Purdue got down to the one-yard line at one point in Ohio State. This was at half the last the last possession of the first half and Ohio State pushed them all the way back to like the 19 or something like that I thought that was impressive because that stuff does matter to me because it's like okay against Penn State Penn State's gonna make those field goals but the point of the matter is Ohio State is making teams settle for field goals while it's a offense is starting to figure out how to score touchdowns that does matter to me but I thought the plays in unison that were important there's one play in the red zone the defensive line gets pressure. First of all, Tyleek Williams was awesome. Once he didn't get any sacks, right. but he was in the backfield a lot, and he had two pass breakups that I think were really important. Like he was awesome, and it's I, it's it's weird. It's with him and Mike Hall, whichever one we're not talking about is typically the one who's playing the best. It's, it's hilarious to watch them. Kind of. But the def- defensive line gets pressure. Denzel Burke gets the pass breakup in the back of the end zone, and then the very next play is. I tweeted this out or I posted whatever you call it on X nowadays. It was the exact type of sack we have been expecting to get from JT to out and Jack Sawyer since the day they signed to beat Buckeyes. Jack Sawyer wins on a speed rush and with his hands and the right tackle just had no chance of getting off the ball quicker than him. And then JT to hits a spin move inside 
and they literally just meet at the quarterback at the exact same time. And yeah. it's like, oh, that's what, see, we've been looking for that. That's exactly what we have all, we have been envisioning. And I thought both of them had a really good day too. They both had their own individual sacks as well. I understand it's Purdue. And they're getting ready to play a team where at least one side of the offensive line features a potential top 15 pick in Olu Fashanu. So that's going to be a more difficult conversation where that might play out the same way that the battle against Joe Alt played out, where it was just kind of back and forth all afternoon, all night. But it seems like the defensive line, Nathan, is gaining momentum by week. Because they even put it up. One of the good things they did do in this Peacock broadcast, they put up the stat of Ohio State's last in the Big Ten and sacked with only seven. But a lot of those sacks have come in the last couple of weeks here, and it seems like they're starting to get a rhythm in a game. And now they're entering a game where we have routinely over the years seen an Ohio State defensive lineman go off. So Olafishanu is legitimately an NFL tackle. And then they've got like three or four other guys on that offensive line for Penn State who are okay. Like They're coming along. I think some of them have a good upside, but I don't think they've been great this year. And if you go look at the PFF grades, they'll tell you they haven't been great this year. And just from watching their offense, um, they played some teams that, you know, all these offensive numbers, the ones that, that have any value are, are set against expectation is set against what a team usually the, the, the defense that they're getting yards against usually does. And they played some decent defenses. So you have to take that into account. But. I think that there still is a big opportunity this week. I don't think it's a coincidence that Ohio State defensive linemen have big games against Penn State, which once kind of cast Larry Johnson out. I think they know that this game Mm -hmm. means a lot to him. I think he means a lot to them. And I think that shows up on the field if if I had to guess. And I also think that every week you start to see, I mean, I I will 100% admit, when I saw Tyreek Williams kind of get gimpy on the first day of preseason camp, I was like, all right, well. I was out. <laughs> I, I wasn't out, but I was kind of like, well, that, that, you know, there's probably a ceiling that, here with this guy. Mm-hmm. That maybe he is, because we didn't know 100% sure some of the things we were seeing there, like how hurt is he? Is it still a conditioning thing? Because mm-hmm. that's been a legitimate thing, and he's talked about it being a legitimate thing previous in his career. And... And now if I had to pick one player on this defense to be an All-American, he would be the top of the list. I think he's the been the most All-American caliber player on this defense. Ooh, oh, I mean, Denzel Burke probably has a conversation with that, but I, I Denzel do Burke agree. has been very, very good, and so has JT Tumaloa. But if I, had but to, I, I, I think if I had to pick one, like he just shows up constantly. Like mm. he was, he was mm-hmm. such a problem for Purdue. Like when you're getting like multiple TFLs and multiple PBUs in a game as a defensive tackle, but when you can also like drop back in coverage, mm-hmm. like he did on that play against uh, Notre Dame and has done on a couple other times, like he's just so, and like now he's kind of doing it with this little swagger. He's funny. Yeah. He's kind of funny to watch down the field with his hand on his yeah. hip and stuff. Like he's, he's a, he's, it's just been f- fun to sort of watch a player a, a, a young person guy come into his own the way he has and and realize potential sort of in real time and we th- we saw it last year with Mike Hall in it in right like it was another mm-hmm. guy who we he was very out of sight out of mind as a freshman and then he shows up on opening night against Notre Dame and you're like oh there it is 
And it's weird that he hasn't maybe necessarily been able to replicate that as much. Although I think the teams I don't do know. I, scheme him I, out a little bit. I think he's no, I think he's doing it. He's, it's just not le- leading to the production that we saw yeah, last I mean, year think, because right, there's plays right. where it's like he just gets off the ball and the quarterback's like, oh shoot, oh shoot, oh shoot, oh shoot, oh shoot, I gotta get out of here. He, I think yeah. he just gets off the ball so quickly that he kills the pocket. And I think we were expecting the to an extent, not every single game, but the, he had two two sacks, two and a half sacks and seven snaps. So you're thinking, oh, that's what he's gonna be. No, I think he just kills pockets. And now these other guys are cleaning up the messes he creates yep. sometimes. And I think Tyleek Williams is starting to do it as well. While also to your point, he can drop back and this dude is a, kind of a freak athlete, man. And he's made the freaks list the last couple of years, but now we're seeing it actually come into fruition. I think it's important to highlight him because last year's Penn State game, and I've been thinking about this a lot, what JT Tuimaloa did was so loud that you overlooked a lot of the other stuff that was happening. Tyleek Williams made back-to-back really big plays in that game. He got a tackle for loss and he got a stop on fourth. Okay, yeah. It's it's, it's like going to be something on the site this week about these defensive line performances and how he actually had – he yeah. had the game that we would have been talking about in yeah. that line of defensive line performances, except yeah. Tumaloa then did what he did, and um, it's, uh, it's so bizarre. And and so we we saw this like that overshadowed so much that mm-hmm. we then kind of forgot about Tyleek Williams in a, a little yeah. bit. I did. I didn't. I didn't think of him enough. And then Tywell Malone was coming in, and people were excited about him. It seemed like and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the staff was excited about him and what he would be able to bring. And then he's not been a factor at all. So um, all those things were just sort of contributing to him getting pushed a little bit farther back in mind. And he's, he's front of mind now because he's mm-hmm. just, just so active and involved and disruptive. And um, it's, you know, we've been talking for a couple of years about like how state needed a more, dynamic defensive tackle presence mm-hmm. i would say even like a step above what tommy togi i did being as you know much of a huge guy as he is that they needed just something else in the middle of that defense and to take some of the pressure off of the ends and this is what that's starting to look like i think one day i'm going to put out a list of like top five players i was just totally wrong about and in a positive way because I was I you were I was out after I saw that intro. I was like, okay, well, this is gonna be more of what we've seen the last couple of years where he's not gonna be consistent and he'll show up in flash at the end of games and whatnot, but it's not gonna be anything consistent. I'm out. And then obviously after spending years maybe being the podcast that was maybe the highest not I wouldn't say the podcast that was the highest, but we were really high on Josh Proctor for a long time. I was out on Josh Proctor. And both of those guys have been very, very good this year in their roles for this team. So kudos to both of those guys. Even Josh Proctor didn't do as much on Saturday, but also he didn't really have to because this defensive line was a terror for most of the day. And so the safeties just kind of – there wasn't a lot of work for the safeties. I thought the one thing there that stood out was Lathan Ransom's pass interference call, which you always love when DBs clearly have pass interference calls. And they're like, what did I do? It's like, yes, dude. You're literally tackling him to the ground. But I just – the defensive line was so – stout on Saturday that the safety didn't have to do much. And I but I do feel like we've seen there's six games into this. The linebackers are getting there, but both the front and the back end have had their moments where it's like that's the reason the defense was so awesome 
today. And I think on Saturday is a chance for them to put both of those things. Some of this rests on whether or not Denzel Burke plays or not, of course, because that's been your best cornerback all year. But everybody else has been building towards something that we talk about all the time. The front and the back end work together. I think against Penn State, there's an opportunity for us to see that if all of it clicks on the same day. I, I think so. I, there's a reason, though, why Penn State – Penn State is just different. They're, they've been successful this year offensively, but just in a different way. They have also, though, run up the score on some people and um, in, a, in a way that probably affects some of these numbers. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give them the respect that they deserve because there are some numbers that on face value don't look that impressive. They're like when you – what was it? I, I tweeted it out – Texted it out today, 614-350-3315. I think it was their like 61st nationally in yards per play against power five opponents. They've only played four, but still, like that, you know, that's not that impressive. So and the running backs have not been that impressive from a yards per carry standpoint so far. Eight Allen or yeah. single, singleton. And I don't un- really understand why. Um, I think again that offensive line has one great player and a, and some guys that they're trying to bring along. So I just don't know. I think if Ohio State can make them drive, make them have to put together consistent drives, I don't think they can do that. I don't think they can consistently drive on Ohio State's defense. And if, if this is the week where Ohio State can prove that it's not going to give up big plays to teams that shouldn't be getting it. And it's frankly, the way they were playing at the end of last year, like Maryland was able to get some big plays against them. And then Michigan's able to get those big plays. And I'm not saying Michigan's not a good team, but like you shouldn't be just getting bamboozled by some of the guys that Michigan was doing that with. And that was flaws in approach, flaws in fundamentals. It wasn't just a better player beating a better player. Probably not even in some ways a better coach beating a better coach. It was a number of factors. So they seem to have fixed that. This is the week where you have, where if you prove it and you keep them in front of you consistently, I, I think it's there for Ohio State to take. We're going to take one last break here. And when we come back, we'll, we'll spin it forward ahead to Penn State because I think we should focus on some of that stuff this on this podcast as well because the line is out, plus the AP poll is out. So this is officially a top 10 game between Penn State and Ohio State. So we'll get into more of that very quickly here when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Nathan, anything else? Any other notes? Anything else that stood out from the Purdue game, just to wrap that up real quick, that you thought was worth mentioning? You know, I hadn't really ever considered how physically different Devin Brown and Kyle McCord are. Kyle McCord's not a shrimp by any means, but you saw Devin Brown on that goal line package, um, how much bigger he is and how much how he just kind of powered his way through for that touchdown. So that's another, I guess, factor in in the favor of, of keeping that in the in circulation at least for now, um, for when you when you want to use it. But I still think it will be a more specialized option that that they will um, try to use. Um, man, every time I look at that chip train and play, that makes me very skeptical we see him this week. I just, yeah, that did not look good. And that doesn't seem like a quick fix. I know every head injury is different. But, and weirdly, you know, Ryan Day told the broadcast, like, well, he, we knew he was out for the first half, but... We're going to evaluate him some more. Like, what circumstance possibly gets him back in the game yeah. after he, like, wobbled off the field and fell down? Like, you got to be kidding me. I, maybe he tripped. I don't know. But it didn't look good. You know, McCord on that, that like, pull and run 
play that he got nine yards on. Like he shows that he's got some mobility. I think he needs to, maybe they can build some confidence with him on that. Cause he doesn't look necessarily as, as sure of himself as, as Brown does sometimes, at least when he was before the fumble, after the fumble, Brown didn't look sure of himself very much either. Um, hilarious moment when the Purdue DBs were being very kind of mouthy with Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. Which I thought was funny. And there was one where a guy like very, and Davis Nygmanosin did the same uh, gesture later where he like took a sword out and then like sheathed it or whatever. Oh and no. I, it's, Marvin a, Harrison. it's a seat belt. They're strapped in. Cause oh, you know, okay. Okay. You're strapped. Uh, whatever. I'm not cool. <laughs> but as he's walking away, you, they show Marvin Harrison Jr.'s face. And he's just laughing. Cause he's just like, what are, what are we even doing here? Um, I thought that was pretty funny. There's probably more that we could talk about with the run game as far as um, how that was working, why that was working. Mm-hmm. There does seem to be this difference between when they run those um, gap schemes and when they run the zone schemes. One works and, and one doesn't. <laughs> well, they, they do block it of. better, though. They block it a lot better, though. This offensive line seems to be more comfortable with the gap scheme stuff, though. I, I will... Yes, I think that might be true, but the one thing of the many ping pong balls bouncing around in my head, um, like, is Dallin Hayden the secret sauce for that, though? Because maybe the guy with the best vision can make either of those work better. I, it's just another reason why I think you're you're they can't be dismissive of what he might be and what he might be right now relative to what they need right now, because it's not like your running game is healthy, really. And now you can afford to redshirt him. There seems to be more and more evidence that something isn't clicking with that running game. It does click when he plays. And now I know that he didn't play against Michigan for whatever reason. And he did play against Georgia, but the approach in that game was different. They didn't really give him a chance to like be a lead back the way you know he was able to in some of those backup situations last year. But when he plays, he kind of cooks. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of his successes last year were against you know, Maryland wasn't a great defense. He had a big game against Maryland. Maryland, uh, Indiana, not a great defense. He had a big game against Indiana. Had a big game early in the year against, uh, I don't remember who it was now. The Toledo. Uh, Toledo. I knew it was a MAC team. Toledo. Um, so, and then, you know, Purdue. And I, I thought they blocked it pretty well, and he was taking advantage of that. But there's other times where they play similar opponents, and uh, nobody's taking advantage of it. So I would just, I'm very curious, once we start getting a better concept of the health of this running back room this week, how Ryan Day talks about that. And let's see if we get maybe Tony Alford this week too, I hope, who can maybe give us some insight on how this is all going to, why why this is set up this way, and why it doesn't just make sense to give Dallin Hayden the ball more. Um, because I it's I think they have to just stop caring about who is who and when they were who they were and just who are you this week? And if you're Dallin Hayden and you can do that this week, then it doesn't really matter who Trevin Henderson is and who Chip Trainum is and who Mayan Williams is. If he can do that this week, then just let him do it and improve your chances of winning the game or come and explain to us and explain to the fans why what they're seeing isn't all it, it is, all it's made out to be. Tell us what they're missing. Yeah, like what? 
I mean, he's not going to answer the outright question of why is Dallin Hayden fourth in the hierarchy, but I think some some version of that where he's very, it's very clear that's what you're asking. I think he'll because that's it's worth because it's two years in a row where I don't know think Dallin has the highest ceiling. I think Trey clearly has the highest ceiling because of what he can be as a home run hitter, but I think he might have the highest floor, and I think we've had this conversation before. Is that more valuable in this offense? Like, what's more valuable here? The dude who can hit a home run or the dude who's going to keep you on schedule? Because that's been the thing with Dallin Hayden is he he does cook. He hits the hole, he takes the hole, and he gets the yards he's supposed to get. And the offense is on schedule because of that. There's never a time where it's like, I don't know how many times I've seen Dallin Hayden run the ball and it just gets stopped at the line of scrimmage and now it's second and 10. But I do know that there's plenty of times when it's second and six, second and four, second and eight. And it does what you needed it to do. This run game doesn't have to be the engine behind this offense. And we've been saying it for two years now. But it can't be the thing that derails what is your engine. And the engine is still the passing game. So if it's second and six, Ohio State can do anything with that in this passing game. It's second and one. You can definitely do anything with that because it was second and one. And they put Julian Fleming in the slot and sent him down the field. And they ended up getting a pass interference call off that because if they hadn't, it would have been a touchdown. So you can do anything with that, but you need a back who can keep you on schedule. So I'm with you. Anti the red shirt. Who cares what he might be for you in 2026? Because that's three years from now. It's about what he is for you right now. And I think that, fine, if you want that home run hitting ability that Travion Henderson gives you, cool. If you want the physicality of what Mayan Williams or Chip Trainer might be, give you, that's fine. But the most important thing, I think, for this offense, and we're learning that week by week, is as long as it's on schedule with a young quarterback, you can do anything. And right now, the only running back of those five, because I'm going to include Evan Pryor in this, because he still looked rusty when they gave him some carries out there, which isn't that shocking. Yeah. The dude actually hasn't really played football in three years now. And may I don't remember if North Carolina played in 2020 in the fall. So it might really be four years since Evan Pryor has played real football. So that's understandable. So of the top five, of those five guys in the room, Dallin Hayden has been the guy who has shown you routinely that, no, he might not have the highest ceiling, but he keeps you on schedule. He keeps things moving. The ball keeps moving down the field with him, so I'm with you. This redshirt idea does not make any sense. It doesn't because, okay, what if you redshirt him this year and the next year he goes crazy and then he's off to the NFL anyway? So he didn't get to 26 anyway. So just play that guy. I want to touch on the Penn State-Ohio State line. Go ahead. But, but just real quick, like again, they, like they don't throw guys under the bus. And no. Dallin Hayden already, I think there's a sensitivity there because of some of the things that went down last year where he was, you know, uh, had done so well and then his role got diminished there late after when they, when they needed him the most, presumably, right? And it didn't make any sense to mm-hmm. anybody. It still kind of doesn't to a lot of people. And I think, so I... Would it? And I'm completely being speculative here. If there was something that were a flaw in his game, where you know, will Ryan Day come in and say, "Look, you remember that play where the corner blitz came and Comcord had to mm-hmm. run for his life and then throw"? Like, <laughs> that was him completely blowing what he was supposed to do. Yeah, he completely blew it. Like, and we've told him a billion times, and he still did it. Again, speculating. I'm just as an example. Like. That would explain it, right? That would be like, oh, okay, you're yeah. telling us that like fundamentally he isn't grasping some important things. Yes, he has great vision and he can use it against this level of team, but mm-hmm. we don't trust him in a game where Chop Robinson's coming after our quarterback. I mm-hmm. would say, okay. Now, 
I don't know that that's true. Again, I'm speculating. I'm I'm giving an example of one thing that it could be. But or or if they're saying like, listen, we know that it's been fine in games, but this guy fumbles like every four carries in practice. Again, I'm I, I feel bad because I'm the one that's now having to sort of like speculate it, weird things that could be wrong with Dallin Hayden because they're anti what we see in games. But I just feel like they deserve. Everybody deserves a better explanation here. Yeah, because this is weird now. It's weird because we're all seeing it. We're all seeing him keep the offense on schedule. But it is what it is. Speaking of which, I rewinded the angry Ryan Day part a couple of times because I'm trying to see all the people he's yelling at. He starts off yelling at Tony Alford, which is so it's prop that probably is a Dallin hated thing. He probably was lined up on and Tony Alford's just kind of taking. He's like, Yeah, yeah. Shaking his head, yeah, I'm just gonna take it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he goes from that to yelling at Kyle McCord, which is about the delay of game completely. That whole entire conversation. Cause I'm I'm a um, semi-professional lip reader, and he's saying some things that I'm not going to say on this pod, but he's talking about snapping the ball, getting the ball off, and then he's listening to Kyle McCord's explanation of what happened, and Kyle McCord's not facing us, so we can't see what he's saying, but he goes, well, then just go. <laughs> so that's it was all about the delay of game, and then it's almost like he's fishing out to find Josh Simmons, and then he finds him, and he goes, get your head out of your butt. But he didn't say but. Oh, I thought no, I thought he said get your get your I think they even made a joke about it on the broadcast, right? Like get oh. your friendly hands inside. Oh, I thought that's okay, what he yeah. said. Yeah. Keep yeah, your friendly hands fair. inside. Um, yeah. because okay. <laughs> because he had just gotten called for that holding penalty that I was talking yeah. about before. I think that's all <laughs> that was. Um uh, but it was yeah. Uh, we were talking about this in the car on the way back. Like he's he's so demonstrative on the sideline recently. It seems like it's mm-hmm. growing, and I think there's a fine line. I think you want your head coach to be fiery, but your head coach has to be able to shut that on and off in an eye in an eyelash because he's also got to call the place. <laughs> like you can't now in mm-hmm. this case, Common Court is coming off the field. There were no more plays to call. They'd already sent the punt team out, and you could light into guys. But they were also showing some things leading up to that where he's all over the place on the sideline too. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's one of the other um, byproducts or whatever of keeping those play calling duties for yourself and also being the head coach and times when in real time, in the middle of a game, those roles can butt heads a little bit, I think. Right. Like, am I, am I completely off base? No. Yeah. Because it's almost, like the guy who's yelling at everybody, that's what head coaches do on the sideline. But when you're also the play caller, there's a level of composure that comes with that. And maybe and that's probably worth asking day at some point. This is not the week to do it because there's a million other things that need to be answered this week. Because I don't know, they're playing a top 10 opponent this week and they also have a bunch of injuries and the list kind of goes on and on. But I do think that's in his progression as a head coach, because we got to remember this is year five of him being a head coach anywhere. How is that coming along of the demonstrative angry Ryan Day, which can be funny sometimes. They even showed the replay. He's like, why can't we just get the snap off? <laughs> he's, he's beside himself a lot of times over there, but trying to manage two things because he's technically still the offensive coordinator, but he's also the head coach of the program. And how do you manage both of those things? Nathan, the line is out for the Ohio State-Michigan game, I mean, Penn State game. That'd be kind of weird if the Michigan game was out this early, but the line there is, is out one. for the off- There was in the offseason. 
Yeah, but that's like the early one. I mean, like the one that's what it's really starting to get bumbling there. The Ohio State Penn State line is out. Ohio State is number three, I believe, in the AP poll, and Penn State is number six in the updated rankings. Which that's not shocking. No. Washington jumped Penn State. I mean, they no. just beat Oregon. Uh, that's State's, a big time. Penn State's number seven in the updated seven. rankings. They were okay. six. They dropped okay. a spot because Washington jumped up to uh, ahead of them after beating Oregon. Okay, what's the line and? It's well, Monday. We're recording this on Sunday. How are you feeling about who you think you might pick as the winner of that game next Saturday? Let me find the site that I used because I used FanDuel this week because that was the first place that I saw that I trusted where there was, I thought, a good line. And it was mm-hmm. 5.5 when it opened. When mm-hmm. I first saw it this morning, I think people even were seeing some lines out yesterday that were 5.5. And this line fell... Very quickly after that to 4.5. Ohio State favored by 4.5. Now this says it's back up to 5.5. So I thought 5.5, based on everything I was seeing, seemed a smidge high to me. That if I were picking a score right now, right now today, at this second, I'm probably picking something lower than that. And also, now here's the interesting thing. The over-under also opened at 50.5. And while that earlier when that line bounced, the over-under stayed the same. Now, as I just said, the line has gone back up to 5.5, but the over-under is down to 48.5. I think five of the six Ohio State games have gone under this year. Uh, Penn State, again, as we were saying before, not an explosive offense, but very strong defense. Like That's the play to me. Like I, Somebody who grabbed that at 50.5, I think, was probably smart. And I'm thinking... And I am not a professional gambler. I am not. You can talk about this. Listen to to the Tissue segment on Friday if you want actual betting advice. Or go yeah. follow Tissue on Twitter or X, whatever, or wherever he's at. Instagram, Friendster, MySpace, wherever he's at. Go follow him there. Don't listen to me. But just in my brains, not my maths. I don't have any maths. But my stupid brains tells me I think 48.5 still sounds high. I would still be looking at something um lower than that for a predicted score as i'm imagining it right now which is so bizarre to think of i mean last year these teams are 44 to 31 but the defenses have both i think gotten better mm-hmm. just saying something because i mean penn state lost some decent guys but they're they're still very good and obviously ohio state's offense doesn't play at that level right now and and penn state's maybe doesn't so i'm i i'm thinking i'm i like this to be a low scoring tight game right now which isn't like brilliant analysis it's like it's arguably it's the two best defenses in the country it's yeah. arguably the two best defenses certainly two of the best five defenses in the country i think that is like period bar none i think this game is probably played at it i think the winner score is somewhere in the 20s in this game right now and that might change depending on obviously because we're gonna be talking to people all week and everything else but i think right now if the winner has like 24 27 points i think that wins you this football game which is that's not about being down on ohio state's offense or even being down on penn state's offense i think that's more about as you said these are two of the five best defenses in the country and both of them have the case to be number one we'll continue to be talking about ohio state penn state all week heading into next saturday when they play at noon on fox both college game day and big noon expected to be there that's happened a couple of times for ohio state where both of those guys are here i think the michigan game was like that last year and i believe the penn state game at 
Penn State last year was like that as well. I believe. Don't fact check that for me. I don't have that information right here in front of me. But as you're listening to this, Andrew and I will be recording Tuesday's recruiting pod. A lot of safety talk. A lot of DB talk in general because they've landed some guys, some DBs, both in the 2024 and the 2025 class over the past seven days. So a lot of defensive back talk. And then on Tuesday, we'll be back at the Woody talking with Ryan Day, talking with Jim Knowles about Ohio State's game against Penn State. Once again, that's at noon on Saturday. So for Nathan Baird, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.